Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. There is a tension that we modern believers experience that was also a tension experienced within the first century. And it's simply this. How come there is so much mayhem? How come there is so much disorder and chaos and sin and destruction and, yes, death, when supposedly Jesus is the Lord, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus has conquered Satan and sin and the grave. How can it be that he is Lord and yet show me where is the manifestation of his lordship? I think if we are all honest, we would say we've struggled with this tension. I know I have because I do believe Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit witnesses that lordship that kingship of Christ into my heart. I know, I know that I know, that I know that I know Jesus is overcomer. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is victor. But I will tell you, I too have struggled when somehow I don't get the breakthrough and I don't see the manifestation. And at times I've also asked the question, God, where are you? And when will you? So yes, that tension that I experienced was also experienced within the first century. And a letter was written to Hebrew Christians that had that tension within them. And in the letter to the Hebrews, I believe there are eight dynamics in which we can cooperate with God to make His Lordship a manifestation in our own person and in our own experiences. In this teaching, I want to introduce you to the reality as it is in God and the manifestation in you and I's realm and how that invisible, eternal, accomplished reality can become real, experiential, and manifested within you and I's everyday life. The early Christians learned about the Lordship of Christ. I've learned about the Lordship of Christ, but it has to move from just a truth, from a confession into my experience. And in Hebrews chapter 10, I believe eight very simple, very practical ways are mentioned whereby you and I can cooperate with God so that that which is invisible that which is eternal and, yeah, that which is in the spiritual realm, as it is in God's heaven, can become an actual experience and a manifestation in time and in space and in you and I's life. Journey now with me as we discover how to move from reality to manifestation in the overcoming Christian life.
the letter to the Hebrew Christians were written to a group of people who had in a way met Jesus as the Messiah and then they went back to their old timey familiar predictable and controllable performable uh, Judaism their rituals their formalism their customs and their traditions and their old timey paradigms and so the letter to the Hebrews were written to really provoke these people and make a solid argument where why Christ um, alone is sufficient and there's no more need for angels there's no more need for the old covenant there's no more need for a priesthood and a sacrifice etc etc you've got Christ that is the fullness and the embodiment and the substance of all the foregoing shadows these Christians forgot Christ bottom line we presume Paul writes this letter and he urges them he warns them to come back to Christ through many many arguments but I want to pick up one thought uh, from the letter here and embellish it a little bit for you this morning. But I want to start here in uh, verse um, 8. As he makes the argument that Christ is greater than angels, greater than angelic beings. In verse 8, But of the Son, in context, this has to be Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. But of the Son, this is what God said, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Your dominion, your rule, your throne is established forever and ever. And the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and you've hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of exultant, exuberant joy above all your contemporaries, your brothers, your partners. And you in the beginning, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth. He's really doing a little bit of an exposition as to Christ is the one on the throne, no longer Moses, no longer angels. So if Christ is the one that's exalted, Christ is the one on the throne, then Hebrew Christians look to Him. He, this one on the throne, He laid the foundation of the earth in verse 10. And the heavens are the works of His hands. Why would you want to go to angels? Why would you want to get caught up in much ado about nothing when the Creator God in Christ is on the throne? That's the argument. If you skip down just a little bit to verse 13, this is where I want to affix your attention initially. Talking again about Christ versus the angels, He says, to which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I set and make your enemies a footstool for your feet? The context here is a discussion between Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Son of God, Jesus God, versus angelic beings. And here the writer says, basically, God never invited an angel on the throne. God never made an angel an overcomer over the earth and say, you sit here on my throne and rule with me and let's make the earth subjugated to us. God's never done that to an angelic being. But He did invite the Son of Man, God incarnate, Jesus the Christ, in His resurrection, 
in his ascension and in his acceptance and glorification, God said to the man, Jesus the Christ, come sit. And now you rule with me. As a man in resurrection, you rule with me. But I want you to focus here is that Christ is making the earth his footstool. Christ is already seated in the heavens. He's already the exalted one, the enthroned one, the overcoming one. But the earth is being made his footstool. The earth is slowly through a process becoming subjugated to him. So there's two things I want you to notice, and this will be the discussion this morning. Christ is exalted. He is Lord. He he is master. He is sovereign. But earth is not quite fully yielded to him. There's a process for his lordship to take place in this earth. Can you all follow with me? So notice carefully that phrase, um, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Christ has conquered Satan, has conquered his enemies, has conquered sin and death. He's absolute Lord. But there is a process for his lordship, his exalted person that he is, to have influence in this earth. So we see two things here. I just want to introduce you quickly to two words. In God, represented above this demarcation line, if you will, if this is the realm of God, so to speak, in God, Christ as King, Christ exalted, Christ as Lord is a reality. It's a reality. But on earth, here where you and I live, it needs a manifestation. It needs to become manifest. And so as you and I exist today, right now, there is an invisible reality of the Lordship of Christ. Christ is on the throne. And His enemies and the earth, as you'll see in a minute, is being made His footstool. So the reality in the heavens is that He is victor. Conqueror, exalted and majestic. And that's why we praise Him. We don't praise Him for the current manifestation. Because right now, there's not a lot of manifestation that He is Lord. But that's what faith really is. Faith is to look past this manifestation. And me, the man in faith, I look to the reality beyond my visible, tangible manifestation. And that's why we worship God. I don't worship God because I feel like it. I don't worship God because there is peace on earth. I don't worship God because the enemy is, is, is fully subjugated. I worship God according to the heavenly truth, according to the heavenly reality. And that takes faith. He who comes to God must believe that God is. He is Lord. I can't look at the earth and then say, why? You're not in faith at that moment. We we look beyond the earth, the things that are seen. We look to the things that are unseen. And for that, you've got to go to the solid Word of God. So in God, it is a reality. Christ is Lord. 
Satan is defeated. But in my experience, in my manifestation, ooh, where's God? Why didn't God? When will God? Why did Satan? Etc., etc. So I submit to you, one of the things of spiritual warfare is to come into the confession and the proclamation of what is real in invisible realms and not what is manifested in temporal time and space. This is real spiritual warfare. Will I praise Him for what is not visible? Well, beloved, well, brother, that's what faith then is. One little phrase here. Until your enemies are made your footstool. So there's a process then still for all the victory of God to become manifested in this earth. And beloved, you and I play a part in that. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, and let's pick it up in verse 5. For it was not to angels that he subjected the coming inhabited earth. It's another argument uh, regarding angels. The, the angels are not going to inherit the coming earth that will be restored. God didn't promise this to the angelic beings concerning which we speak. And now in verse 6, he's going to emphasize actually the coming earth, Christ is going to inherit it. This man, Jesus the Messiah. And he's going to now pull from Psalm chapter 8 and prophetically show how Psalm 8 is about Jesus the Messiah. So he says, but one has solemnly testified somewhere, what is man that you bring him to mind? What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little inferior, a little lower than the angels. But yet, this Nazarene, this carpenter man, you have crowned him with glory and honor, and you have set him over the works of your hands. That is, he's the Lord. He's the king of all the kings. And the argument is basically, angels are not going to inherit any of this. Christ is going to inherit this all. He's trying to exalt Christ, as you can clearly see the argument. So Christ is going to be over the work of your hands. Now look at verse 8. You have subjected all things under His feet. In reality, Christ owns everything. In reality, He is over everything. That's the real statement, the real condition, as it is in God. Look closely, He says in this clause, for in subjecting all things... To him, he left nothing unsubjected. But now, so he makes two statements. There is not one thing that is not under the Lordship of Christ. 
But now, we do not yet see all things subjected to him. So here he makes a point again. There's a reality. Everything on earth and under the earth is subjected to Christ. It's Lord of it all. But right now, we do not see that. Isn't that amazing? So that's why you and I ask these why questions. Why didn't God? When will you God? That's why most of us are so frustrated with God because we hear He's exalted, He's powerful, He's able, He's capable, He's willing, He's loving, but I don't see it. And that's where most of us get offended. But the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, actually explain how we should live in this tension where there is no manifestation. And you do know that's why Jewish people cannot stomach Yeshua. The Jewish people believe that when the real Messiah comes, He will make the lion lie down with the lamb. So we Christians, we say, the Messiah came. And a Jew would say to us, have you seen a lion and a lamb lately get along? You put a little lamb in the territory of a lion, he tears the thing up. Christ obviously is not the Messiah. Where's the manifestation of peace? The prophecy in Isaiah also says, one day when the Messiah comes, a child will play by the nest of a cobra. A Jewish person would say, when the Messiah comes, there will be peace on earth. It will be manifested, heaven on earth. Children can play with snakes and they're never going to get bitten. We avoid snakes like the plague. Jesus cannot be the Messiah. So goes the reasoning. And so probably went the reasoning in the first century likewise. You tell me this Lord is so great that He conquered death? My uncle just died. We prayed for him and he was not resurrected. Where's your God? We live in that exact same tension. And for many of us, we reason perhaps like the Jews. How can he be Lord when everything is cattywampus? Where is this so-called powerful God we read about? Well, here he says, we know that everything is subjected to him, but it's not yet manifested. It's not yet manifested. So we say then, God, why are you not just like some superhero that snap your fingers and, and, and do it? If you're so great, then snap your fingers. And have you all noticed lately, God does not snap his fingers. He's not some Marvel comic book invention. Something else is going on. And so, of course, we reinterpret God. Oh, he's an imagination. He's some superstition. God is not real. Because look at my bondage. Look at sin. Look at the slavery out there and the heartache and the brokennesses and the, the turmoil in cultures and nations. And, and look at the catastrophic world events. Where is God? If you've asked those questions, you are not unlike me. And you're not unlike all those who have come before us. And yet, the letter to the Hebrews addressed it.
It's as though God wants to work through you to manifest the victory. And if you don't make yourself available in a series of ways for Him to gain you and manifest victory through you, it's as though He does not just do things. Listen carefully. It's as though you are the medium through which His manifestation is going to come. If you cooperate correctly with Him, and here in Hebrews, He teaches them how to cooperate with Him. Look carefully here. Hebrews chapter 10, and pick it up in verse 12. But this one, again the context is Jesus the Christ. This one, having offered one sacrifice for sins, He sat down forever at the right hand of God. In a way, when you say to God, do something, it's almost as though God's like, I've already done everything. What more do you want me to do? I've already given the one sacrifice. See, we anticipate God to work according to our picture, our uh, context. Like, would you just change my dad, change my mom, change my professor? Like, God, just do something. And it's almost as though God says, I already have. I gave the one sacrifice. But that one sacrifice, which facilitated that one victory, it wants to have an influence on you. Not your dad, you. Not your mom, not they, them, you. The victory and the change of the circumstance is going to come through those who takes the one sacrifice, who takes the act of redemption in Christ. Notice carefully. He uh, offered up this one sacrifice for sin. Now he sits down forever at the right hand of God, exalted, enthroned. Henceforth, he is now waiting. Verse 11, uh, 13. Henceforth waiting until his enemies are made the footstool for his feet. Exalted, enthroned, all-powerful God is sitting. Apparently, according to God's reality, everything has been done. Sin has been dealt with. Satan has been dealt with. A new heaven and a new earth has been paid for. It's all done. In God, the reality of victory is done. And now he waits. He's been waiting 2,000 years. He's waiting. So when we say, God, act, act, do something, he's, he's not going to do anything. The Bible is very clear. He's sitting. He's at rest. He finished it. So something is then off with our understanding of what victory is, how he wants to manifest it. So instead of just running up against the wall and saying, why, when, let's see what we should do so he gains his victory through me and manifests it so that it is on earth as it is in the heavens. Amen. Amen. You all follow with me? So we should not say anymore, God, you do something. He sat down. He's done it all. His work at the cross was a completed work. Now he's waiting for all of it to become his footstool. That is to come under him to submit to Him. And now the writer is going to explain how you and I
can come under him and how we are the conduit and the means for his victory in this earth. Oh, glory. It's about to get good. Here we are. We are in verse 13. Henceforth, he's waiting until his enemies are made the footstool for his feet. For by this one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Uh, excuse me. According to God, I am perfected. According to God, I'm complete. But notice in the same sentence, according to God, I am being sanctified. Do you guys see that? That's a dichotomy. That is a tension. We would say that's a paradox. Jesus is Lord, but it's not quite manifested. According to the writer here, I am perfected. Everything is completed from God's perspective in my life. But in my experience here on earth, I am being sanctified. I am being changed. I am becoming more like Christ. I am cooperating more. But according to God, I'm fully accepted. But in my journey, in my lifestyle, there's a process. And he's going to explain a little bit of that process now. So, beloved, you can never say, Oh God, please accept me. Oh God, please love me. Oh God, please notice me. No, you're already noticed, accepted, loved. There's nothing more God can do for you. All that has to happen is this perfection has to become my experience through a process. And this process is called spirituality, the spiritual life, where the realities of God, the perfection that you are, Christ-like, the Son of God, a completely transformed man, it's already accomplished. Now it needs to become a part of my everyday life. So we ask the question, how does this perfect vision God has for me, this victory God has for me, how does it become a part of my life? How? He's going to answer that. Keep reading. Verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. I want you to notice the first key here as to how does this victory, this perfection, how does it become a part of my life? I believe in verse 15, he gives you a hint. It's going to happen through the Holy Spirit. There's a key there. The Holy Spirit is testifying. Beloved, we have to learn to live by the Holy Spirit. We have to learn to walk in the Spirit. We have to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Mind the Spirit. Lean into the Spirit. The more I lean into the Spirit who has the victory of God, who is the victory of God, who has the mind of God, who is the mind of God, the more I lean into the Spirit, the more the reality of God can seep into my life. Number one, the Holy Spirit. Number two, look at verse 16. It gives us a little bit of a hint. The Holy Spirit speaks in verse 15 towards verse 16. This is the covenant which I will covenant with those in those days, says the Lord. I will impart 
my laws into their heart. There is a key that God's law has to be translated to your heart. God has to gain you in your inner man. If almighty, victory, powerful God is to manifest something on this earth, it will be through His Holy Spirit. And number two, gaining your heart. That is your inner man, your love, your affection. Here's the issue. How do we manifest victory? Well, right here at the upstart, if your heart still belongs to the world, your affection is for the world, and the, the, the laws of the world is written on your heart. You are not going to live an overcoming life. You will not manifest the Lordship of Christ. And we will have to wait 2,000 more years for this earth to become the footstool of God. Your heart plays an enormous role. Proverbs says, guard your heart with all diligence. And God wants to write His law his burden, his economy on your heart. And so does Satan. So does the world. That's all coming for our heart. But if my heart cannot belong to God, my inner man cannot be gained by God, you will not manifest victory at all. Notice here, I want to write my laws upon their heart and into their mind, I want to transcribe my law. Number three, I submit to you, God wants His teaching, His truth, His instruction to take over your mind. God wants to gain truth in your mind, in your heart. He wants you to be affectionate, passionate, loving, and in your mind, He wants to put truth there. But then again, whose voice will we hear? The truth of the world? The truth of my imagination or the rock-solid truth of God. So if God cannot gain a man through the Holy Spirit, an entrance into his heart, an entrance into his preoccupied, paradigmed mind, and this man begins to live according to the truth from above, God will not manifest victory into this earth. You play a part in this manifestation. So stop saying, God, where were you? Rather say, God, change me. God, lead me. God, change, change, confront, sanctify. Your mind plays an enormous role. That's why here at Legacy, we want to challenge the truth in us. The way I think. Because if God can gain my mind... I'm going to manifest victory. Oh, glory. Amen. Amen. Look at verse 17. God says, And their sins and their lawlessnesses I shall by no means remember anymore. Now where forgiveness of these is, there is no longer an offering for sin. So you're going to begin to live in freedom. And, and you're going to believe God loves you. And you're going to believe you're forgiven. Because in heaven, you're perfect from God's perspective. You're completely forgiven. But unless God's Spirit can, can gain your heart and gain your mind, you're never going to have the experience of forgiveness and freedom. 
So you're going to still try to please God. One more sacrifice. One more little suffering for God. One more little effort. And so in that striving, you don't manifest the victory of God at all. He goes on. Look at verse 19. Having therefore now, brothers, boldness for entering into the holy of holies in the blood of Jesus. I want you to notice verse 19 is the result of the Holy Spirit, of the law written on your heart, and the law written on your mind. What will happen is all of a sudden you will have a boldness to enter in, to enter into God, to draw near to God, to fellowship with God. There's no longer a shame. Oh, I'm so unworthy to come to my Father. I can't come into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies, representative of God's person, God's presence, God's glory. So now I can be bold and I can walk with God. I can come to God. Most of us are afraid of God. So Satan laughs all day long. Ha, 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 ha. Bunch of believers afraid of God. So as long as you and I are afraid to come to God, it's as though Satan wins. But in actuality, the curtain has been torn. The price has been paid. You are fully accepted in God. If he could gain your heart, if he could gain your mind, then you need to pull yourself up with boldness, go home to your dad, and with boldness draw near to God. So here is this issue, enter in. You have got to walk to God. If God wants to manifest victory through you, then pick yourself up and believe the truth and go home to God. That is, enjoy company with Him, talk to Him, enter into His presence, and you can do so boldly. Keep reading. This entrance, verse 20, He initiated for us as a new and living way through the veil that is His flesh. Because of His body that was torn, which is a kind of a veil, metaphorically speaking, I can come to God. So now, verse 21, we have a great high priest over the house of God. So verse 22, let us then come forward. Let us draw near. Let us then come to God, to the Holy of Holies, with a true heart, full of assurance, full of confidence, full of conviction, and full of faith. The next key for me, for God gaining you, and through you manifesting His power, is that you need to begin to live a life of conviction and bold faith in God. Faith in God. Here He says, let's, verse 22, let's come forward then with a heart full of confidence, full of assurance, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. That is, when you come to God boldly, don't come apologetic. Oh, I'm so filthy. 
Oh, I'm so nasty. Oh, I'm just the slime, the scum, the reject. I'm just an orphan. He says, no, come with a full confidence. Your conscience is accusing you. He says, no, get over it. You can come with a clean conscience. From God's perspective, you're not a murderer. You're not some fleshly man. We're en route to victory. As long as you and I just act like the scum of the earth, oh, woe is me, woe is me, woe. You will not manifest victory. But on faith, understanding the work of the cross, understanding this high priest that gave his body for us, I can come boldly. My conscience accuse me. I say even to my conscience, get. I begin to, in faith, in conviction, believe the work of the cross. Keep reading a little bit here. In verse 23, he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, unwavering, for he who has promised is faithful. Notice the sixth thing that God admonishes us to do as we are manifesting the victory of God is we need to stick to our confession. And stay in hope. Again, the earth is not manifesting the victory of God. But who do you confess? Do you confess what is seen? Or do you confess in faith and in hope what is not seen? These are issues of overcoming. Can we say, Jesus is still the Lord even though it doesn't look like it. And I still hope and I still believe there's a new creation coming. That kind of a hope, as we read about in Romans 8, is a part of manifesting victory. Stick to your confession of hope. Read a little bit in verse 24. He gives us another hint. He says, let us consider one another so as to incite one another to good works, to encourage one another, to provoke one another to love and good works. That is, live within the body of Christ. Consider one another. Spur one another. Exhort one another. Instead of sitting in your room feeling like a victim, Get among people where we remind each other of God. Remind each other of victory. And we stir each other. Stay the course. We pray for each other. We prophesy over each other. And we spur each other on. This is a part of the process of victory. Those of us who have these demons we're battling, we're trying to battling it there in our bedroom all by ourselves, you're not going to overcome. You're not going to manifest victory. That's why we say get with safe people. Get with the body of Christ, two or three or a thousand. But get people in your life. Open up vulnerably and, and spur one another on. That's what he tells them here. This is how the Lord is going to make this earth his footstool through you and I. Glory. So that's why we need to learn to pray over each other, speak over each other. Instead of sarcasm and mocking and, and calling out each other's weaknesses, love one another, bless one another, speak into each other. This is how God's going to manifest 
victory. So incite one another. The next one is number eight. Look at verse 25. Do not abandon the assembling of the body of Christ together, as is the custom with some, but exhort one another. Encourage, build each other up, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So, gather, connect, meet, have meetings, assemble. And that's exactly what we're doing here this morning. Praise the Lord. Amen. Number one, all this is done by the Holy Spirit, obviously. If I am to manifest victory, I have to learn to be in the Holy Spirit. God has to write His law on my heart. God has to gain my preoccupied, wayward thinking and really bring about renewal and transformation here. And then as I understand God, I can begin to exercise boldness to praise Him, boldness to proclaim Him. I can enter into the Holy of Holies. Christ has made a way for me to draw near to God. So let's draw near. It's called prayer. It's called walking with God. It's called seeking God. It's called worship. It's called talking to God. Draw near, mind God. This is all a part of the process of victory. Then he says, draw near in faith, in full assurance, in, in confident conviction. Don't come to God with a sloppy faith. Praise Him and boast in Him and brag in Him for the reality as it is in God. Yeah, but I don't know what the reality in God is. Read the Word of God. Folk wrote down for us some of the realities. And then as you come to God, praise Him for these realities. Yeah, but I don't feel like it. Exactly. That's why we come by faith. You better understand it. Faith. It's so easy. Next, continue to confess Jesus as the Lord. Continue to put your hope in God, not in man. Psalm 42. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. That is, expect from God. That's what hope is. Anticipate. Not that man will provide or man will change the climate or the environment or the planet. Put your hope in God who's going to change it all. Then he says, confess him. Stick with the body of Christ. Consider one another. Stir, spur, exhort, speak into each other all a part of, of living out the victory. And he says, connect, assemble. I believe if you do at least these eight things, and again, it's not a checklist, it's just a part of the process that the Holy Spirit facilitates, you will gain victory in a manifest way.